Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, the podcast where we delve into the world of CMS systems and their crucial role in website and web content development. In each episode, we'll explore the reasons why founders, CEOs, CTOs, and CMOs of web content development companies need CMS systems to thrive in the digital landscape. Get ready to uncover the secrets behind successful website management, content creation, and seamless user experiences. Here's your host, Jonathan Ames. Joining me today are Stephen Falsing and Tony Bartoli. Stephen is a founder and managing director of Bonfire LA. He's an expert in digital content strategy, interactive marketing, and SEO. Tony is a director of technology operations at Bonfire LA and an accomplished 30-year web development expert. Welcome, guys. This podcast is primarily about the confluence between web content development, the content side and the development side coming together. And this particular episode, we really want to talk and focus about SEO. And so we're glad to have both of you on here. Let me start with this first opening question. Stephen, what's been your involvement in SEO and how has the content side changed over the years for SEO? Ooh, well, I've been working in uh, internet technology since the mid 90s. So going back to when search was handled by humans. And, you know, I think that the technology behind it has consistently been evolving, right? Going back to old school Yahoo and AltaVista and web crawler, that's how old I am, to, you know, now algorithm driven tools like, you know, obviously Google being the 800 pound gorilla and other ancillary search terms. You know, and even what's going to be happening with AI is going to be driving and changing the face of search. It already is, but we'll continue to do so over the next year. And there's been a million different ways to approach it, you know, and going through even into the 90s and early 2000s where, you know, in the dot-com bubble, where ultimately everyone's goal is the same. They want to be found. They want their users to find them. And, you know, it used to be throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks. And it got more tactical. It got into arenas where it was black hat tactics and, you know, how can I game this and put a bunch of useless keywords on a page that have nothing to do with the content. And it's been a kind of constant arms race between marketers and other humans on the web that are promoting themselves and the search engines trying to get users, I have to believe, quality content. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to unpack especially Google, the way Google approaches sponsored versus non-sponsored search, you know, SEM versus SEO, all those sorts of things. Ultimately, the thing that has kept me going in it and that I believe that I will expound on to the end of my days is honesty and authenticity, right? The black hat stuff drove me nuts for people who like they're, you know, selling shoes, but they'd load up their webpage with like Kardashians and all these other nonsense keywords that they thought would just drive people there. It was just a, an approach to get the most number of people there. And that drove me nuts. And I feel like beginning in the 90s and all the way through today, if you communicate clearly and honestly and authentically about who you are and the value your product, service, content, whatever brings, you will get the right users. You have to break through the noise. You have to be competitive. But if you're trying to game a system, you're going at it the wrong way. And the best part about it is, is the system has gotten much, much harder to game. You know, the way Google's approaching it, it's about actual useful content and authenticity of content and verifiable, for lack of a better word, truthful content, things like that. You know, and Google is still a business. They're still going to be driven by profit. 
Google is not perfect. The algorithm is definitely not perfect. But the way we approach it as a business, the way we approach everything we do as a business, CEO being part of it, is authenticity, value for users and consumers, honesty, and actual value. That's the way we approach it. And I feel that that will get the right kind of results. Yeah, definitely. Tony, what about you? What's been your history and involvement in SEO? Like Steve, I've been doing web development since 99. Well, Steve started much a bit before me, but since 99. So SEO, again, has always been a factor. You know, every client would like to rank, if not as the first on any given search, but at the very least above the fold early. And so having a fundamental understanding of SEO and how SERP works has been important for all web development throughout. And I don't want to just echo too many of the things that Steve had just said, but it had been that the guidance that we had in sort of the early days, if you will, was sort of figuring this out on our own. How does Googlebot, for example, look at any individual page, any individual site? How do they put that into context? How do we educate Google on what this organization, this site, this page is in context? And it was that we would get very simple guidelines. The Google Webmaster Guidelines is what we, was the documentation that we started with 12, 15 years ago. And it gave us some guidance. And, and since, and especially recently over the last five years or so, Google's just done a heck of a job in revising all of their documentation to give much clearer guidance on what it is that they're looking for. And to echo Steve directly, authenticity is really what they're asking for. They want to provide their customers, folks that search, the quickest answer, the most accurate, direct answer to their questions, to what they're searching for. And so they tell us, don't pack the page. Don't do the Kardashian tricks. We actively will penalize you if you do that. And that's a relief because now we can just get to what is the content that matters? What is the answer to the question? How do we best? And then Google gives clear guidance on this too. How do we best structure that on the page, present it as early on the page as feasible? And that tells Google directly all of the context that they need to know and the answer to the question. And so that is a direct relationship with SERP. And so learning about this process and observing how Google has taken it from a black box, if you will, to providing some very clear documentation and then simply following their sets of best practices. And you'll hear us echo this again and again through this call. We'll give any developer, any agency the best results. And tooling like Butter CMS, Headless CMSs, you know, the stack that we use, these are details that absolutely lend themselves to achieving that goal. Well, and I think that the way we approach SEO is there's two key factors. Content SEO, which is about the development of actual authentic content, leveraging keywords correctly within it, things like that. And there's also the technical SEO, which has to do with how the pages are structured, coded, utilizing schemas, the dev part of it, if you will. And you need to have both of those aspects, right? You need good quality content that's written with a content strategy in mind. And then your, pay, your website needs to be built, structured, and maintained in a way that checks all the boxes. Let's just say we're talking about Google here. You know, we're not talking about Bing. 90% of it's Google, right? So 
that's what we were, we're wanting to check all those boxes. Yes, you want to be able to reach into other arenas as well sometimes, or you know, maybe you're looking at a global reach, but you want to make sure you're aligning with best practices and defined structures by you know, major search engines and how they're kind of determining content quality and ranking. For many marketers, I know for me, when I started in my career in the mid 2000s with SEO, the content side was fairly clear what you had to do, but the technical side was a more of a black box. And that kind of uh, became clearer over time as you worked in it. But when you're thinking content strategy, so when you're working with your clients, what have you found makes for a good content strategy for SEO? Like the images, the text, the, the content of the strategy. I mean, it varies client to client, right? And perhaps it's too esoteric, but I'm always to thine own self be true. Don't try to change who you are to be what you think someone wants to hear. I'm a big believer in authenticity. And yes, there's best practices and we, we utilize and leverage tools for keyword analysis and things like that. But I ultimately do believe that when you're developing a strategy, right, you're not trying to fool anybody. There's no magic bullet. There's no, that's the thing is like, there's so much less so today than perhaps before, but there was always the, oh, we know the special, these three tricks will make you rank higher on Google. And it's like, no, you know what makes you rank higher on Google? Hard work, right? Paying attention to what's happening, optimizing, you know, getting content out there that's based on best practices, developing it. Yes, you want quality imagery. In a way, it's, yes, it's for SEO, but it's because it makes the content interesting. You know, no one wants to read a giant block of text. People don't read. How can you, in a way, it's like, I'm going to hack this Einstein quote, but it's like, simplicity is genius, or I, what, I can't remember, or, you know, it's easy to make something complex. It's hard to make it simple. How can you distill it down so it, in the most efficient way that it makes sense, that it gets your message, your information to your user, that has something visual that helps tie it together because people connect the visual with the words and make it make sense and be valuable. But moreover, get it out there. And the, the, this is where a lot of companies fall behind. They'll get something out and then they won't optimize it. Everyone's got Google Analytics. Everyone's got access to all this data. And if you get it set up correctly, and we do a lot of like data dashboards and things like that, so that not only are we getting you the information, but then we're turning all the data from your website analytics into your search console, and things like that, and creating a dashboard. And you have to look at it. And you have to look at it on a regular basis and go, what's working and what's not, and then adjusting, right? No one's going to get it right, or perhaps you will, but very few people get it right on day one. And it's perfect, and it's magic. And so the people that are there selling magic are selling BS. Just like anything else in life, get out there, try something, do the work, and then optimize. Okay, this is working. People are connecting to this content. You know, people connect to stuff that you didn't, you know, was the least you know, thing you thought was the least likely for them. But oh, wow, this is working. Great. Let's do more of that. Let's lean into this. But that comes from data and analytics. And all that data and analytics is out there. It just takes time and expertise and grit, you know, and persistence to utilize it to make good decisions. It's hard work, but it's worth it. And it pays dividends. It does. That's why people invest billions into SEO. Give us an example of who you might say is doing content for SEO well out in the wild. Something you've seen recently, you felt like, wow, these guys really are being authentic and they're putting out good content that could create measurable results. 
That's a good question. You know, I don't want to just tout our own clients. So I'm trying to think. Yeah. Obviously, all of our clients are doing everything perfectly. And I don't, one I don't have a good answer for off the top of my head. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you've ever done any searches around any keyword related to marketing, you've come across a HubSpot page. Those guys have just dominated on creating content around the questions that people ask and really good content, you know, stuff that's useful, especially for junior level marketers who may be like, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? They, this is the kings of the listicles. It's all over the place. But yeah, I've seen HubSpot as far as the, the content they've created really has impressed me because it not only it shows up all the time in the search, which is a very tangible result, but also when I talk to other marketers, they know HubSpot, they talk about HubSpot articles, they share them on social media. So all of those seem like kind of concrete efforts. So hats off HubSpot for some great content marketing that you've done there. Tony, what about you at... When you're thinking of you know good development strategy for SEO from the technical side, you know what makes for a good development strategy? Well, referencing Google's best practices, they give us the recipe, they give us the cookbook, the whole book on how they would like to have content be presented to them in the data stream for them to process. Start there. Every SEO should, or technical SEO should have these by rote, iterate on it, reference Google Search Console to make sure that pages are being processed as you expect. But in terms of layout, heading tags, titles, meta, all of the things, Google now tells us exactly what they expect. And then they take it to the further levels as well. So we have the capabilities to implement schema and structured data. They provide guidance for this as well. So that for us is... You know, we want to implement that soup to nuts for every client. For us, you start at the page level, the site level, like what tooling does the client need in order to be able to easily add meta descriptions? The name is escaping me now, but sort of the OGL data, the open graph data, and then onto sort of the schemas as well. Like what can be automated? What needs to be manually input? And it depends on what schemas are being implemented in terms of answering sort of either of those questions, right? That's always the start. Document it. And as Steve said, hook up to all of this information that Google makes available to us for us to be able to track how the site gets seen, used, impressions, clicks, and SEM. So that implies that we need to build a dashboard that not only we can consume, but the client can as well, right? That presents all of this information in easily consumable ways so that we can look and see what is working, what is not, what queries are generating impressions, where do we rank in those impressions? Like where are the opportunities for significant improvement in those? And head back to a topic that you guys just covered. I think that if for client strategy, it really is around writing the content for the customer. They know the terms that they're using this to search. And so it's that simple really to us in terms of strategy is, and this is one of the great things about being part of an agency is that we get to learn about all these different businesses, how they work, what their customers are, what's important to them. The difference between a shoe company that's selling shoes and a law firm is so vastly far apart. And it's so interesting to understand what those differences are 
and how that impacts SEO, SEM search terms and implementation. Now, you mentioned schema in there. And back when I first heard that word, I associated that with rich snippets. And it's like these little you know, emoji style stars and reviews and pieces of information that came in your search results. Is that primarily what you're meaning by structured data and uh, schema? Or is there more to that? A little bit more. So structured data, that's really close though. It allows us to talk directly to Google in terms of what the context of the page and the site and elements in the page that they are processing. So gone is interpretation. Now we're just telling them directly that this is a product. And here are all of the, the pricing, warranty information, any sort of fields that we want to add that's part of the schema spec for products or for reviews or for local businesses. Those fields are all defined and we can speak to Google exactly. You know, for example, for local businesses, we have a client that has many franchises all across the country and they all have different operating hours. They all have different services landmarks, cross streets, information that we need to communicate to Google. And rather than have Google interpret the page or rather than have, you know, another effort where we're populating Google My Business entries that is separate and apart from the website, the website knows all of this information. So packaging that into a schema so that when Google processes the page for this franchise to communicate all the important data needed to Google allows us to appear in maps, against searches for services near me. You know, in the case of reviews, it allows reviews to appear alongside these rich results. And, you know, Google has found and communicated to us that the rich results do get the most interaction on Google. So we want to be there. So any opportunity that we can to leverage structured data, to communicate directly to Google with what it is that they're seeing on the page to generate those snippets. Facts is another one I want to call out. And What's interesting about Facts is that it also has an integration with Google Assistant. And so you ask a simple question in Google search and a fact is highly likely to show up as your very first answer, a rich text answer. It's not a link to the website. It's Google populated content that's pulled from you because we've seen you provide the best, most simple, most direct answer to this question. And the same goes with Assistant. You ask Assistant a question, an assistant will leverage that rich result in order to try to provide the best, simplest answer to your question. That's their goal. A lot of marketers have been crying about that more and more of those Google answers have been showing up in the SERPs. But uh, honestly, you can't fight against that. You should try to work with it because uh, fighting against is not going to get you anywhere in the ranking. So, yeah, good data. Jonathan, one point to that is, is it's like the people, they don't like it because it, it get, pulls the data from their site and puts it on Google. And Google has been doing this a little over five years. They've been pulling more data into the search results to, instead of sending people to the pages. And the thing is, okay, yes, it's Google wanting to keep people in their ecosystem on one hand. But on the other hand, it also, it's an improved user experience. The more that person can get, the more context they have in a way I'm not a Google booster or anything like that. And I may not even own stock right now, but I think it improves the quality of the internet traffic because people aren't going all over the place and then not finding what they need. They're getting the information and they keep going to that next step. It's because they got, oh yes, no, this is what I need. I need to go here. So if you put your user as the most important person in your mind 
and you go, how do I get them all the information? Because you have to believe the information you're getting them is valuable, right? So I want to give it to them. I don't care if I give them to them on my website or on Google or whatever. I'm giving them the information that I have. And if it's valuable and what I am doing is valuable, they're going to end up with me booking an appointment for my service, buying my product, consuming my content, what have you, right? And it's something that is, I've seen Google, I started doing that, you know, where stuff just got pulled directly into it, tour dates, sports scores, all this sort of stuff that you used to have to go to the pages for. Now it's, it's all there and it makes my life better as a consumer. And that going back to the, I remember, you know, eight days of the consumer facing internet, I was always like, what's going to make my life easier? When can I go to the DMV? When can I do my taxes online? One of these things that are a giant pain in my rear end, going to get easier, get me, make my interactions more efficient. And so that's a step of that. And so as marketers, we have to be mindful of it and go like, this is making our users' lives easier. So let's embrace this. You know, let's do the work to implement these things, not try to fight against it because you're going to lose. Like fighting Google is foolish. Let's work with this and make it work. Yeah. Great points. So we talked a little bit about this idea of you know, content strategy for SEO. I've talked a little bit about how it needs to be authentic. We talked about good development strategy, you know, following Google's guidelines there. How do you get these two to connect? Does one go before the other? And, you know, how do you make those two align so that they're more effective? I think they kind of go in parallel. You can define that said it's also from a fraudstrix perspective. I like, are we building a website from the ground up? Are we integrating with an existing site? Things like that will we'll kind of play into, especially the technical part of it. What's the current setup? What's the current platform? What's been integrated? Is it being leveraged correctly or not? Versus, oh, we're building something from scratch. Great. Well, we're going to build it to all the best practices. So from a process and procedure you know, and standpoint, that can vary. But they really go hand in hand, right? I mean, content development is, hey, well, it's an ongoing process and it's a creative and subjective process. It is subject to a lot of different things in terms of, you know, project-specific parameters around like, oh, well, this has to be approved by marketing, or this has to be approved by legal, or this has to go through product or what have you. So those sort of processes, it's hard to just track, you know, this has to get created here, this has to be created there. We're working with a client now who they're just starting out, but they've got a ton of blog content. Great. So what we're doing right now is working with them on their blog content ensuring that it's optimized against the keywords that they want while we're building their website, which is relatively straightforward and it's very content focused. So we're going to get all that in. The website part is relatively simple because it's a straightforward site. The content part now is taking a little bit more time. It's like, okay, let's really nail what are your keywords? What are the ones that are going to work? And what are we going to test? So they kind of go hand in hand. They're not decoupled necessarily. But you can kind of like, okay, it depends on where the client is. Like, we don't have any content. We're working on it. Well, we can still build the site with the thought process in place around here's how the content's going to be structured. This is what our goals are. This is what kind of company we are. We're e-commerce. We sell phone cases. Great. Okay. Well, we can do research and strategy around what we want to do content-wise there. We know how to build that from a website, e-commerce, structured data, schema perspective. So the containers are all there, for lack of a better word, as they're figuring out the content. Kind of, it's wherever you're at, you know, in the process. That's, that'd be my take on it. Anyway, Tony, you, you have any other ideas? Well, I agree. I think, and two, you know, if it's an established industry, the SEO tools that are off-the-shelf tools are able to look into sort of competitor 
the, the competitor use of SEO, SEM rankings to give you a starting place too. If this is brand new from scratch in an, an existing industry, it does make sense to look and see what's already existing out there to understand. And that gives you an insight into what exactly people are searching for to look for this type of business. I found it's interesting. What usually happens is marketing tends to drive you know, a project forward for some business objective they're trying to accomplish, whether it's leads or sales or something like that. And so they'll generate content. They typically tend to hand it off to developers of the technical side and say, go do this, go SEO this, <laughs> whatever terminology they want to use. To them, it becomes a black box. They know what they want, but they don't know how to articulate. They don't know what they don't know from the technical side of things. And I found if there's a good mix where the technical side can explain in some simple terms, because remember, this is just marketers, simple terms, here's the things that you're going to want to look for to make this easier to optimize from a technical standpoint. You know, things like schema, you know, can you call out to us the purpose of this data in here? Or can we as developers create fields that your content creators can then populate and say, oh, yeah, I need to have my hours in here, boom or I need to put in my ratings here, whatever those things are. So it's almost like there has to be a, some kind of connection there. I don't know if it's an alignment. I don't know if it's developers educating the marketing side. Here's what you need to do. That's why I asked, and it was interesting to hear your perspectives on that. As far as you know, software and tech go, what effect do they have on SEO? Is there any effect what software you use or tech you have or framework you build in? Yeah, in terms of like web frameworks and website frameworks. Or software, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, 50% of the web is WordPress. I think that still holds today. You know, and there's a lot of plugins that are built for WordPress. Some of them work better than others. But it's a well-known, well-supported platform. And it works well for certain types of websites. We're building a lot more now with headless CMSs. There's a lot of, of a move away from kind of the opinionated CMS is like WordPress into more of the SaaS style ones, like Butter CMS. We build a lot with Butter. And there's a lot of hoops involved with utilizing kind of the plugins in WordPress. And so using headless CMSs, SaaS-based CMSs, it allows for more robust and custom integration. The work that we've done with Butter and the custom CMS component we built for Butter, uh, not CMS, right, but the custom SEO component we built for Butter. So I'll tell you, you want to expound on that a little bit? Yeah. And I mean, it's been a game changer really for us to the move to headless CMSs like Butter in that we're able to build best practices directly into the stack. So no more relying on sort of plugins that are piecemeal and not quite there. And because we're measuring what we see the impact is at Google, where we can see directly the result of that. And the other thing to take into account too, is that performance is an SEO indicator. It is a level. And so with PHP, the sort of older style of stack websites like WordPress, you have to do a lot to get performance such that Google will appreciate and think that this is the right site to send their customers to have their questions be answered, right? Because if the site is slow, especially on mobile, they will be more likely to recommend something else. So headless CMS and a JavaScript-based front end gives us 
you know, the 100% performance mark that you're looking for, it's not always wise to chase lighthouse numbers in those types of numbers, but to have the performance be instant load, especially on mobile, is a significant SEO signal, if you will. And again, to be able to build best practices directly into the stack, headless CMS like Butter is a key piece of that. Tony, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Because that is a key thing is that we talk a lot about developing content. We talk about the technical implementations of SEO. But yeah, Google ranks other things even than just that, but like something like site performance, the fact that your site needs to load fast. And that's good user experience, right? It, Google is leveraging metrics around user experience to uprank or downrank web content. And so the faster, more efficient your website is, the better, which sometimes, you know, comes into conflict with the desire to have a really pretty website with a lot of really big, huge images or video or things like that. And so you have to find a balance, right? But you could have a plain text website and that'll launch really fast. <laughs> it won't look particularly good. So you have to find that balance. Another thing that Google uses is ADA compliance. And which is top of mind for some clients, but not top of mind for others. Um, and, you know, I had that conversation yesterday with a client who is, what if we tried these other color combinations? I'm like, well, that, that, that's not going to rank very well on ADA compliance. And like, well, that's kind of not our target market. I'm like, well, if, but Google cares and you guys care a lot. You know, they've talked a lot about SEL. I said, Google cares about that in their search rankings. And they went, oh, okay, well then let's care about that. And so it's not one thing. You know, SEO is not just keywords right? It's a holistic structured strategy around the way your website is built, maintained, and then your content is developed and implemented. Yeah. ADA is really interesting because several years ago, I worked with a company that they basically, they did ADA improvements. It was all that they did. And most companies were like, isn't that like the wheelchair access? So basically it's like accessibility for people with any kind of disabilities to be able to utilize the content on your website. And the government actually even gives you, at least in the United States, a tax deduction when you make ADA improvements that you can pull right out. And it's not just a deduction, it's actually a credit. So it's uh, even more valuable than a deduction. And most businesses simply don't know about that. So yeah, ADA, there's this whole realm around that uh, about how to make those improvements, but that does have an impact on SEO. And I think one of the biggest problems I ran into in previous marketing tenures where we tried to implement ADA improvements was the typical CMS system is built around templates, which are very difficult sometimes to customize for these ADA improvements. Being able to build something, you know, have your developers build that in custom right up front was just a game changer for us switching away from the templated system. You're right. It's more than just alt tags on images and, you know, and there is a, a lot of misperception around what ADA is. And the truth is, is that anything we build, we want it to be accessible for everyone, regardless of what their top target audience is. There is no target audience that doesn't include folks that are vision impaired or a bit older or a bit and may have issues with navigating and they need to have keyboard navigation and all this stuff. If, if we understand what it is to be compliant, you just build it into the process and you build it into everything. And, you know, essentially clients just get it for free because it's built into the entire process. I think from an SEO perspective, that's really where an agency like yours adds value as an implementer to be able to think up these checkpoints. So just like you mentioned with your client, they're like, oh, why does that matter? And then when you tell them, they're like, oh yeah, well, now it matters to us. 
they just, a lot of times clients don't know what they don't know. And so they really need someone to help guide them on that side of things. It's not a technical concern. It's just simply an understanding of the impact. So yeah, very important. When you guys think of cutting edge, you guys work cutting edge. What do you think of right now in SEO? What's cutting edge for SEO? Is it programmatic? I mean, I'm not 100% sure how to answer that question because I feel like everything we've talked about to this point is basically the way we're approaching it, utilizing existing and current best practices. And we do our best to stay on top of you know the latest and greatest, and we try not to chase trends too much. So when I think cutting edge, what we're doing in terms of leveraging kind of creating a custom and robust SEO component for headless CMS, you know, like Butter CMS, is putting the power into the hands of the users to have direct custom SEO implementations versus cookie cutter implementations. To me, that I would say is cutting edge or is a best practice. And this is my own bias. I stay away from words like cutting edge or leading edge, or I feel like that gets to be buzzwordy. Oh, this is chase the new shiny thing, chase the new shiny thing. And sometimes the new shiny thing is great and works out, but sometimes it's not. And I'm a big believer in using the tools you have, doing great work, and then optimizing and not just set it and forget it, but keep looking at it. I mean, cutting edge is paying attention to it on a regular basis and consistently optimizing, you know, the way we do for media campaigns, the way we do for, you know, target markets, the way any of those sorts of things, that's the best thing people can do to get results, right? And, you know, perhaps new technologies and things come into place, sure. Some of them might be great, some of them might not. And that's why we're perhaps, that might be a boring answer, that might be an old guy answer, but that's the way we look at it, at least from my perspective. Now, Tony, do you have, have any other thoughts? We're, we have found that we're devoting a lot of resources now to building client consumable dashboards. We think that just to leverage what Steve said, so in terms of iteration, this is the way to, the best, cleanest way to communicate with the client about what our recommendations are for content strategy, for SEM buys, all of those pieces, and to be able to pull Google ad data, analytics, search console, internal information, lead gen, closes, purchases, all of that stuff into single dashboards for consumption. And, and as Steve said, review that very frequently. You know, if it's seasonal, then it needs to be every week, if not every day, review, you know, as an example. And that, if you were to ask me cutting edge, that would be the thing that we're really sort of spending our most treasure on right now is testing dashboards with clients to make sure that we are populating with the information that they need to consume and that it moves the conversation. Yeah. No, I think that actually is cutting edge because for every client, there's going to be a host of things that are best practices that are known out there to some companies that they have not yet implemented that will be to them cutting edge. To me, the idea of the custom dashboards is cutting edge because most of the time in the past, what's happened is you have somebody who has access to, say, the analytics platform, Google Analytics, and they tend to go in from time to time and pull out some reports and show other people and cause some action. But what if you could give each section of your content production team, each section of your front-end development team, their own custom dashboard, hey, here's your metrics to work with. Go look at these on a weekly basis, and every time you make a change, 
look at what it does to your key metrics. That's hugely cutting edge because now every person in a team has the ability to look at what matters and what they're doing and how it affects that and make changes. You don't have to wait for a director or a VP to come down to you and say, hey, the so-and-so needs some updating. Go in there and update the so-and-so. No, you can actually then have your junior level people talking about, hey, this is the change I made. And, and by the way, this gave us a 20% boost in our so-and-so. That's huge to me. That really is cutting edges, democratizing that kind of analytics data down into the levels of the juniors who are basically working on day-to-day -day stuff. It's brilliant. Technical people should be consuming these dashboards as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's encouraging to hear you say that too, because I think we, perhaps my perspective is I, I get so up to my neck in the work, right? And that the dashboards, we've been working, you know, building these dashboards for years now. And from my perspective, the promise of the internet has always been data. Early on, like that understanding of like, oh, okay, you really can understand what people are doing, what content they are consuming, right? And the analytics have gotten better and better, you know, over the last almost 30 years in my part of the career of it. And to me, it, now it's, it's like baffles me when I hear that people aren't, they're not looking at their data or they're, wow, it's really hard to analyze. Well, yes, but it can be analyzed and it takes time. And yes, there's dashboarding tools that are evolving and getting better and better, you know, day over day. But it's encouraging here is cutting edge. I think it's table stakes. I think these tools are there and you know, they're for everybody. I was giving a talk to a, a large local municipality that will remain nameless, a conversation with them. And, you know, they you know, have all sorts of programs throughout their county that do all sorts of things. And, and it's like, guys, all this data, it's right there. You can really understand how your users are interacting on your websites and get the content. Like this is important content to get to, you know, the citizens of their county, you know, about these important social programs and important recycling programs, all these different things. And, you know, they're like, we don't know what's being effective. I'm like, the data's there. Let's help you. Let's build these dashboards because you can get it. And it's, I said, you guys, you know, it's not rocket science. I'd like to pretend it is and that no one on the planet can do it but us, but it's all there and there's tools, there's tutorials, utilizing that, you know, granted, people have to have the time to do it. And that's where we have expertise. And so we can get stuff spun up, but it's all there. It's not magic. It's not snake oil. It's not impossible for, you know, relatively intelligent humans that have been around technology for the last 10 years to implement, right. And utilize it can feel daunting. Right. And that's what we try to do is we try to demystify the web and try to put this information into the hands of the people we work with so they can make good decisions and get be successful in whatever their mission is, right? Whether it's a e-commerce mission or a service mission or a regional municipality mission or what have you. And that's the goal of all of it. So guys, what are the top challenges? You guys talk with clients all the time. You see different challenges with SEO. What are the top challenges you see clients running into with SEO? Just day-to-day -day challenges. I mean, there's a number of different challenges. There is the fact that it is a day-to-day ongoing effort, right? You know, there can be fatigue. There is you know, being able to take the time to analyze your data, right? And then make decisions based on that. Some clients face the challenge of just bureaucracy, right? And that's not necessarily SEO related, but related to anything, but that can also relate to, we want to create new content and it takes forever to actually get anything created and approved. But the other side of it in terms of the marketplace is the dilution, of content, right? Because the fact that we're even talking about this means that everybody on the friggin' planet knows that content's a key way to do it. 
create web traffic, right? And so everyone's got to be doing it, right? And it creates a dilution of content. And now with AI creating content, that's exponentially growing. And yes, Google is saying that they're trying to help downrank AI content. You know, there's already vendors reaching out to us, you know, that are saying, hey, if you're creating content with AI, we can adjust it to fool Google's algorithm, not AI. And I'm like, so we're doing this again now? Yeah, back to black hat days. <laughs> you know, everything that's old is new again. Oh, let's game the system, right? And I'm dubious about Google's ability to actually detect AI content on a consistent basis. I'm not an AI booster, nor am I an AI hater. You know, it's content is content. If it's accurate and valuable, it doesn't matter who created it, at least from a user perspective. It's like if an AI robot made my coffee cup, I don't know, does it hold my coffee? Does it work or not? But what it does mean is that the, the ability to create content has basically the effort for it has gone down significantly. And so it's going to create more dilution. And so that's where I guess go back and say, you know, yes, tough. That's the marketplace. And you've got to then continue to lean into authenticity, lean into the things that make you in your organization and your mission important. And I'll use the word special, right? And that's an ongoing battle. And it's not always a winning battle. You do the best you can. And moreover, you have to keep on top of it and optimize and find out what's working. I think those are really the key things and obstacles. And there is no magic way to overcome it. You know, it's about consistency, showing up every day, making a decision, assessing how that decision performed, and then making another decision. Yeah. From a content standpoint, April Dunford said it's called differentiating value. It's simply the way you say, this is the value we provide you and how it's different from these other competitors are providing. And so from a content strategy standpoint, there really has to be that clearly in this age where there's so much content out there. Tony, any comments on the obstacles in the SEO process? I think that there's a long-term perception issue in the industry about what exactly SEO does. It's frustrating to us when we meet a client, a potential client, and they've been paying an SEO agency a lot of money every month, and they're wondering why they're not ranked first. And so that agency just didn't do a good job of helping that that group with their perceptions and what it is that they're going to get, their differentiating value that they're getting from working with that agency. And so that's a trick too, is help the individual or the group understand when, what the, sort of the limits of SEO is and what it really gives them. And when to start looking at ad buy, depending on their industry. So very competitive industry, competitive keyword ranking. You could have perfect SEO and still not rank on the first page because of the competition, the established of your competitors. At that realization, then now what is our budget for Google ads purchase, for example? So you, and what's the long-term impact on that? And this has been happening in social media over the last 10 years. Organic reach of social media is close to zero now. And people have just accepted that. We may, do we get to that in search? I hope not, but uh, if we're moving in that direction, you know, there has to be kind of a, a balance there. That, the search is not going to be shut off. So it's simply going to be a question of how do we play within these rules, you know, whether it's paid or whether it's organic, to be able to reach our customers and give them our authentic message. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing with all of these platforms. I mean, going back to, you know, the internet has been quote unquote free. Anything that's a free on the internet is because you're the product. And so you see, Google search is free, but of course they're selling you sponsored posts. They're selling you ads. You know, they're 
leveraging your data in a million different ways. And that's why you don't put a nickel in Google every time you, you press search, right? So yeah, it means that there will be dilution of the value of that. I mean, socials turned into that where, you know, you can't get any sort of content in front of followers without sponsoring it, of course, you know, because Mark Zuckerberg had to tell Congress, we're a business, we sell ads, because Congress didn't know that. That's a whole other podcast we can do. But the point being, all these sort of platforms are all there to generate profit based on ads, right? So SEO is one thing, but it's not the only thing. Like if SEO is someone's only strategy, then that's going to limit them. Whereas, okay, so then what's your paid strategy? And is that paid on social? Is that paid on search? Is that paid in display? Is that paid in outdoor? Is it paid in radio, right? There's as much as we're a digital agency and we build on the web, there's times that I tell my clients, hey, you know what? You might want to do a, a mailer. You may want to do a billboard, you know, based on their product and their market and their, their demographics. And one thing that's going to be interesting too is as people use more and more people using the AI tools, they're using that the same thing they use it for Google. And slowly but surely, search is going to move into those sort of arenas. And it's similar to what Google's doing where they're pulling data into the platform. You'll be, you know, you can ask chat GPT, you know, who won the basketball last night and it'll tell you all this, the data is there. And so, you know, the same thing if someone's shopping for a car, they can be, help me find a Honda Accord in my region. You know, so those tools are going to improve, improve. They're going to get integrated into different experiences where it's going to, I don't want to say supplant search, but it's going to be a similar thing to search. When do they start taking money for sponsored content? Because that will happen at some point. There will be sponsored responses by chat GPT. Excellent for them. <laughs> I don't know. Because someone's got to get paid. Someone's got to get paid. Yeah. That's how it functions as a system. So if you were to give our listeners uh, one tactic or piece of advice with SEO that they could implement right away, what would you give? And I'll let you go first, Tony. One tactic to implement right away. If I'm a technical person, if I could make a recommendation to technical SEOs, this is the thing that I would say go do today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Google search podcast. Listen to it every week or every time they publish. Make sure that you're following John Mueller on Twitter or all of his socials uh, and his entire team. This is the search team. So out in front of Google's documentation is John Mueller's team where they put on these podcasts and they communicate with us on social platforms. And if you want to learn how to be a good technical SEO, this is the thing that I would do today because it will impact your career. It'll make all of your products better because Google through those platforms communicate with us sooner and clearer on best practices, you know, alternative methods, et cetera, you know, and also the thought processes behind any changes that they make, previews of upcoming changes, et cetera. That's the platform or that's the the recommendation I have for a single technical SEO to go and do today. That's great advice. I miss Matt Cuts, but. It's going today. Listen to Google. Yeah. Yeah. But John is amazing. All right, Stephen, what would you say? Kind of tactical piece of advice. Yeah. I mean, that is, I kind of want to echo that conceptually. Just the best thing you can do is be educated and possible in it. Because the other thing is just to kind of continue to create authentic content. But when you're creating that authentic content, the more you understand about the landscape, the better, right? Granted, sometimes that's why people outsource it and they hire agencies like ours to do it because we do that. 
you know, we do our best to stay on top of it and way they don't have to, right? And that's fine as well. But if people with marketers are wanting to do things in-house, the information is out there, right? And you listen to those that are, you know, guiding the train, if you will, become hungry for it. Like you're saying like HubSpot has a lot of great content. Try to set aside time every day to consume some of that content, understand what's working, understand what's happening in the industry. So that way you can be as up on it as possible as any of us can. You know, it's one thing in, in each of our days, you know, that are filled with so many things, but that's the best thing we can do. Yeah. Now, if you were to go back in time, you had access to a time machine, you could talk to your younger self just starting out in the industry. What piece of advice would you give to yourself? Buy Apple stock. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I guess how much younger? Yeah, just starting out in your career. You just got out of college. What would you tell yourself? I mean, I think if I go back to my entry into the dot-com world, I worked in software, in internet software in the 90s, and then in the very late 90s, you know, kind of entered the dot-com world, which was not that dissimilar. I think what I would say is it's about the data. Get into the data, get into the analytics. You know, I think I was very focused on the creative and also on the production part of it and, you know, a lot of the operational parts of it. And the data, we do so much, you know, in the last, for Bonfire, we've been around seven years. And we got into the the SEO and the data part of it very, very soon after starting, right? You know, we saw it as a key component of what we were doing. That said, you know, had I gotten into it earlier, had I perhaps organizations where I'd worked that weren't focused on it, if I helped them focus on it, could those have been more successful potentially? That's what I would tell myself. Excellent. Tony, what would you say to yourself if you'd go back to the beginning of your career and give some advice? I think that on some level, we're all a little bit afraid of exposing gaps in our knowledge or what have you. And I would say to myself, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask a lot of questions. Run experiments. Break things. Don't be afraid to just break. It's easy enough to take a copy of something that you're working on, put it somewhere else, and then run a whole bunch of experiments on it and learn everything that you can. Write it down. And asking a lot of questions, I think, makes you be a good listener. This is really the only way to learn is through that loop. And so I would encourage myself to do that because as you start out a young person, you're so afraid of, I need to have people think that I'm bulletproof, that I know it all, that I have the answer to. I'm not the person asking questions. I'm the person providing answers, right? And that it doesn't have to be so. It could be that you're learning and have that be okay. That's great advice. I often think if I could go back and you know give myself advice, I would have said, you know, find a mentor earlier, find many mentors. And now, I mean, you have podcasts, you have blogs, you have all kinds of ways to connect with people on social and let them mentor you without you having to like go up in front of them and say, hey, be my mentor. You know, what you were saying about connecting with the Google team on search and, and hearing what they're saying about, you know, optimizing to their platform, it's basically mentoring there. You know, you're learning from them, those things that you need to move forward in your career. And asking those good questions, really important too. And you can ask your Google team directly on socials or on their forum. You know, you don't know, you know, you want to understand something regarding SEO. You could just ask them, they'll get, they'll respond, which is a, I think is really, you know, I'm really grateful that they're so responsive to the community. They want us to be good SEOs. Very different from the uh, Google ads platform where it may take a little time for them to get back to you. 
Guys, tell me just quickly, we didn't get a chance to summarize Bonfire. Give me a high-level view of Bonfire and what you guys do. Good question. Um, our tagline is the web well done, right? And what it goes back to is you know, we focus on building things for the web. And a lot of that is web design, UX, uh, web development, API integration, things like that. And then, you know, full sort of data analytics integration, Google Search Console integration, dashboards, et cetera. But we also do kind of anything you'd expect out of a digital agency in terms of, you know, we have video production, you know, motion graphics, display, HTML banner ads, rich media. We do digital media buying and placement, things like that. And we, on occasion, do even still do print design. Not really, we don't go and pursue it, but if existing clients are like, hey, we need some brochures, we do branding, we've done logo design. We've even designed a couple of uh, trade show booths for clients just because they asked us to, you know, we were doing mostly, you know, digital and web work and they're like, oh, can you guys do this? And we're very fortunate that we have a really great agile and senior team who has a really deep skill set. I say, you know, we're a digital production company with a creative heart and soul, right? And we have the design chops and the creative chops, you know, we'll do campaign development and creation sometimes. We don't go out and pitch for it every day. We go out, you know, really pursue web work because that's what we do a lot of and we do it, I'd like to think, really, really well. You know, it's sort of, we were very agile, I said, in, you know, sort of experienced team that brings a lot of different skills to the table. I'm a big fan of people with hybrid skill set. And that allows for great ideas and great innovation. And it's a lot of fun. If you're not having fun on the web, then why are you in it? Yeah, you're doing it wrong. Well, thanks so much, Stephen and Tony. Where can everyone find you online? Bonfire LA? Uh, yes, bonfirela.com. Excellent. Appreciate so much your insights, your questions, and also your humor and humanness. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciated it and happy to be on the show. Thank you, Jonathan. Cutting Edge Web Content Development is brought to you by Butter CMS. To find out how you can build better with Butter, stop wasting dev time, and free your marketers from your legacy CMS, visit buttercms.com. Also, make sure to search for Cutting Edge Web Content Development in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Butter CMS, thank you for listening.